Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bible app on your phone. I've just got one verse of Scripture, then I'm going to let you be seated. So glad that all of you are here. Psalm 122, verse 1. Psalm 122, verse 1. Grab your Bibles, your apps, whatever. Let's turn there. And here's what it says. This is a song or a psalm of David. And he said this, I was glad when they said to me, everybody said, I got happy. Because I'm happy. I was glad when they said to me, my team did really good in the game. I was glad when they said to me, my political hero got elected. I was glad when they said to me, my social media influencer followed me on social media. Is everybody already braced yourself? Because I'm coming for all of us today. I was glad when they said unto me, we will go to the Lord's temple. Real quick before we're seated, Father, thank you for what you've already done in this house today. You are the word, and your word is already anointed because it is you. But, Lord, we are not anointed, but we need your anointing in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our lifestyle today. So, God, I ask that you would be with us as we lean into your word today and change someone's life by the power of your truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to join with Olga to say buenas to all of our Kenya fam. Come on, everybody in the theater, theater, let's welcome Kenya to us. Praise God. It was so cool getting Thanksgiving wishes from our family in Kenya. They don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but they do with us, which is kind of cool. I just think that's awesome. Um, it's really cool in our family in Australia. We love you. A family stretch out all across the country. And our NOLA fam who are in the armed forces who join us during the week. They watch every week's sermon and service throughout the week. We've got a bunch of people that do that. So thank you for your service. Thank you for all you do. Isn't it cool to be a part of a family that's bigger than just the row that you sit on? Praise God. We are in a series that I'm just simply calling prayer. Everybody say prayer. This is the third part of the series. I don't know when it's going to end, uh, but we're going to go until God changes this. And I know that in the new year, we're going to be leaning into our, our getting back into our Exposing Jesus series, looking at the topic of calling, which is the character of Abraham. So if you want to go ahead and get ahead of the story, any of you overachievers like to get ahead of where the teacher goes? Okay, we're going to be in still in the book of Genesis, looking at the character of Abraham and learning about calling. Everybody say calling. But before we get there, we need to learn how to communicate with God. Amen? So we've been in this, and we started a couple weeks ago, and we learned about Solomon's prayer, learning how to create a foundation for sacrifice, which every sacrifice we bring to God has to have a firm foundation, and we learned what that was all about And then last Sunday, we learned about the disciples' prayer. Some of you may know it as the Lord's Prayer or even perhaps as the Our Father. But it's actually never a prayer that Jesus said, this is my prayer. He never said that. He said, pray this way. So if you don't mind, I'm kind of going to use that as the jumping off for where we're going today and over the next few weeks. Where Jesus in verse 9 of Matthew, uh, I believe it was chapter 11 that we were in. There's been a lot happening this week. There There was some ham and some dressing. Ooh. 
And I don't remember all the things that I said last Sunday, but I believe it was Matthew, or Luke 11 something. I don't remember. It was in the Bible, and Jesus said it. Beginning of verse 9, I remember that. He said, pray this way. So that's what we're going to dive into today is pray this way. And if you need a title for today's sermon, I'm, I'm just titling it simply this, Praying for the Heart of God. Praying for the Heart of God. Psalm 122 is in the midst of a collection of 15 psalms or songs or prayers, however you want to look at it, that are a collection from different authors. David wrote four, Solomon wrote one, and then the other uh, 10 are kind of spread between various authors. They, they don't know exactly who wrote them, but they're, they're giving credit that these were all written for the same purpose. And these are called Songs of Ascent. Everybody say Songs of Ascent. I can already tell some of you are still basking in the turkey juice and you're not with me yet, but if you don't preach with me, I preach longer. So, happy birthday, Mariah. Where are you at? Happy birthday, Mariah. She is 47 years old today, wearing the coolest shoes that I think I've ever seen. That is really, really cool. But songs of ascent are simply this. These are songs that pilgrims from the countryside would sing or pray on their way into Jerusalem, going up the mountain to Jerusalem. But in specific, once the temple was built, once Solomon built the temple, these are songs that would be used to signify that pilgrimage from the wilderness into the city. And it would start when they would get to the court of the women. Nobody read too much into this. They were not politically correct back in the day. It doesn't mean anything. The Bible's not against women. But the court coming from the outside before you would go up into the temple was called the court of the women. And from that point to the court of Israel, which was the outside court, before you would walk into the door, there were 15 steps. And on each step, they would pray or sing one of these prayers. And they would start with chapter, what we call chapter 120, and they would sing each one of them, each step all the way to chapter 134. And, and I, I wanted, I'm not going to take the time during this series to pray through every one of these, but God really led me to chapter 122. And this is, this is what's really cool. When God starts dropping a direction onto a congregation, he, he will definitely speak to the pastor. At least you hope God's talking to the pastor, right? If you're ever going to a church and God's not talking to the pastor, it might be time to find another congregation. But God starts talking to the pastor, but that's not the only place that God will talk. God will speak into other leaders for various reasons. And I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about today. The week of Thanksgiving, we don't have any rehearsals to get together. In fact, there's not a lot of communication between the team because I tell them, like, go. Go enjoy your family. So unless the team spends Thanksgiving with me, which some of you did, we had a blast out in the lobby. It was a lot of fun. But unless that happens, we don't really have a lot of back and forth. And the worship leadership actually chose the songs for today about a month ago, correct? It was, it was roughly a month ago. They had no idea what I was preaching today because I'm going to be honest with you. A month ago, I didn't have any idea what I was preaching today. And truth be told, even though I played and sang, I did not know the songs we were doing today until this morning when I came into the theater to pray to get ready because it was Thanksgiving and I didn't look at the schedule. I'm sorry that I was not as prepared as I should have been. 
don't, don't follow my example in that worship team or anybody else. You should prepare before you come in, but this just happened to be one of those days I didn't do it. I had no idea where we were going, but I thought it was so beautiful that what God put on them roughly a month ago played directly into where we're going to go today. This just lets you know God has a word for you today. And we're going to learn about it. David writes this psalm, and it is a psalm of ascent. I'm coming from the, the place, the out now. I'm coming out of the out now, back into the in now. I'm, I'm coming away from Jerusalem, coming into Jerusalem. I'm going down from the area where the, the presence of God does not dwell, and I am ascending into the throne room of God. And he makes a statement, and he says, I was glad when they said to me, we will go to the Lord's temple. Now, before I dive into the rest of this chapter, by the way, keep your Bibles open. This is the only thing we're going to talk about today. Psalm 122. David, the king, the chief psalmist, the writer of the vast majority of the psalms in the book of Psalm, was excited when he received an invitation to the house of God. And I want, you to, I want you to hear me on this. He was not excited about everything else in his life. There was joy in other parts of his life. He found fulfillment in other parts of his life. But there was a gladness, there was a rejoicing that happened when he received an invitation from someone else in the community to go to the place where God said, I will rest my name. And if you want to ascend out of the muck and the mire of your life, if you want to be lifted out of everything that is happening in your life, parents, hear me. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, teenagers, young adults, believers, unbelievers alike, everyone hear me. If you want to be lifted out of your circumstance, you need to allow God to usher you from the outside into the inside. But the only way that happens is when a mind change happens in between these two spaces where you say, I'm going to be glad to go to the place where God has chosen to dwell. Don't make other things in life a priority like pastors coming at me because I missed a couple weeks. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's between you and God. But I want to challenge you. Make it a priority. Do you want your kids to admire God? Do you want your kids to be in relationship with God when they become adults themselves? Then you better prioritize it now. And David made a decision. I don't care what else is happening in my life. When I receive an invitation to the temple of God, I am going to be glad and I'm going to prioritize this in my life. And it is going to be a moment and a season of rejoicing. There's a few things I want you to see here. First, we will go. Everybody say, we will go. He wasn't going to the house of God by himself. He was being invited by the community into the house of God. That gets us to the very last phrase of this short verse that I think oftentimes we miss. The temple didn't exist when David wrote this. In fact, David wanted to build the temple and God said, no, you have too much blood on your hands. So your son's going to be the one that builds my temple David had to travel away from the city, away from his kingdom, away from his palace. He had to travel away from all the places of comfort to Shiloh to where the, the 
tabernacle, the tent, the, the goat hair covered tent that was not beautiful to look at. It was out in the middle of nowhere. That's where David had to go. David only saw the temple in his mind. David never got to set foot in the temple. But here in this moment, in this verse of scripture, he is speaking prophetically. I was glad when there was a place established that I can walk into the presence of God with the rest of the congregation. And even though he never got to experience it, it was a priority in his life. Does that make sense? What is the temple? We learned in the first week of this series that Solomon designated that the temple was going to be a place of sacrifice and worship. And I love how Solomon put it like, I'm building this temple for you, God, as if a place that I build could hold your vastness. But instead, I'm just building a place that's going to be continual day and night, night and day. Incense is going to be arising in this temple that we're establishing to you. It's a place of sacrifice and it's a place of worship. I want you to hear me. There's joy that should be birthed in your heart when you receive an invitation into the house of God. There should be joy that happens in your spirit when someone else from the community says, hey, I'm going up to the house of God to pray. I'm going to a small group at the house of God or at a member of the house of God's house. I'm going there to, to be a part. I find joy in my connections with other believers. But I find a special joy in the place where he rests his name. Go to verse 2. It's okay this morning. Y'all enjoying this? I love what he says here. He says, our feet are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. And as we've talked about a lot, I want you to understand that the, the word of God is an ancient writing and it was not written in English, especially not Southeast Louisiana English. Thank God for that. Sometimes the translators didn't get it exactly right, but a better translation would say, our feet were standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. But either way, the reason that it could go either are standing or were standing is because what, what David was wanting to like bring to the focus of the people praying this prayer or singing this song is, you've been here before, now you're here again, and I want you to keep coming back again and again and again. I don't want you to just visit and it be a one and done and then you step away or you disappear. No, I want you to be intentional with setting aside that this place is the place that I'm going to go when I need a lift from my circumstance, when I need a, a, an uplifting word. I'm not going to go to social media. I'm not going to go to the influencers out there. I'm not even going to go to my lost friends. I'm going to go to the house of God where the presence of God is and say, God, I need you to speak into my spirit. And when you do, you will find that he meets you in the place that you've designated again and again and again and again and again. Every time you show up, he says, hey, I was waiting on you to walk in here. Every time you push aside something, you say, no, I need to do that, but I can wait to do that because I need to be in the presence of God. Here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is literally meaning the place of God's peace. Everybody say God's peace. 
Yes, he is speaking of a literal city that still exists today, but he's also speaking spiritually of a state of being that happens when someone finds themselves chasing after the presence of God, pushing aside everything else just to walk into his presence. Verse 3, Jerusalem is a city designed to accommodate an assembly. Jerusalem is a city I mean, you got to imagine singing this song, Oh, Jerusalem is a city. I mean, that's just a weird lyric there. <laughs> but why, why is this part of the song? It's a city designed to accommodate an assembly. What he wants you to see here is that two things have happened. Number one, before God chose the city of Jerusalem, the city first had to become the city of David. Hear me on this. Jerusalem was a city that had existed long before the Israelites even settled in the promised land. It was not a city they built. It was actually a city they rebuilt after taking the promised land. This is an ancient city. And God had a conversation with David and said, I want this to be your city because I want it to be my city. But before God will claim it, he, he first wants you to take responsibility for the space. You have to first make it a spiritual high place before God recognizes it as a spiritual high place. So what, what does that mean? God says, I will meet you in the place that you set aside for me, but you better take responsibility for it first. Moms, dads, Make the house of God priority. I know it's not popular. I know there's 47,000 million other things that your kids need to be doing to make it in this world, or at least that's what we've been conditioned to think. But one of the highest priorities and one of the best things you could ever do to them is give them a respect, an awe, a reverence, and a love for the house of God. I thought this was all ancient symbolism, and it is ancient symbolism, but there's still a biblical, godly principle that still applies that any place that we say that is where I'm going to meet God, he says, I will rest my name there. But you and I have to take spiritual responsibility. Is the place that you've designed in your own life a place that can accommodate an assembly or is it your personal relationship? Christians love, oh, I have a personal relationship with God. Search. You won't find that in the Bible. God never calls you and I into a personal relationship. He calls us into a place of intimacy that produces something. And if your relationship with God isn't producing something, then you don't have a relationship with God. You have a connection to a religion because your life is empty and producing nothing and your spirit is barren. And my friend, that is why you constantly feel like you have to chase everything else to find fulfillment because you haven't created a high place. Like, Pastor, why are you coming from me? I'm not. I'm coming with you into the place of assembly and we are here standing in the place of God's peace and this has been built and constructed for an assembly. Let's come in with gladness. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you want to go to the house of God with me? Y'all invite me to wherever y'all said. I ain't going with you. Y'all don't seem excited. <laughs> Joe, you want to go to the house of God with me? Come on, let's go to the house of God. David, you want to go to the house of God? Miss Pam, you want to go to the house of God? 
If you don't want to go to the house of God with Miss Pam, there's something wrong with you. Let's, let's look at verse 4. Everybody learning something today? Is it okay we just do some Bible study? Verse 4. The tribes go up there, the tribes of the Lord, just in case you wanted to know what tribes they were. Because there's lots of tribes in the world, but there's only one tribe of the Lord, the family of God. The tribes of the Lord, where it is required, everybody say required. That's a very popular word in this day and age. People love it when things are required. Please make church less requiring. Please make it accommodate me and my carnality. Let me move on before they throw daggers at me, dear Lord. Where it is required that Israel give thanks to the name of the Lord. Does it matter where we gather? Yes. Why? Because when God chooses to place his name there, he makes it a priority. And he expects the same with us. So when you come into the place of peace, when you come into the dwelling place of the identity of the Almighty, when you walk into that high place where he says, this space belongs to me, I am God, and this is my world. You're in my world, I'm not in your world. Just let's get that straight. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Basically, what that means is there ain't nothing don't already belong to him, including you. It is required that Israel give thanks to the name of the Lord. You, you better believe that location matters. Yes, God will meet you. I love the scripture that was already quoted today where two or three are gathered together. There will I be in the midst of them. But how much more and when it's the place that I have designated to rest my name? How much more in the place that you've designated that you will gather with the assembly, not just two or three, but you're gathered with the assembly and you say, I'm going to go here on the regular to be with you and to be with them. Pastor, are you dealing with attendance? No, I am not dealing with attendance. I hadn't even got into the sermon. I'm just giving you the preamble verses. Let's go to verse 5. Indeed, the leaders, everybody say the leaders. The leaders sit there on thrones and make legal decisions on the thrones of the house of David. What, what is that even? Again, weird lyrics in a song. But he's pointing to something that's extremely spiritual. In this high place, in this place of designation, there are seats of power and authority. When you come into the high place, when you come into the house of God, when you designate the, high, the house of God as a thing that creates gladness in your spirit, God says, I will be there and my presence will be there and I will invite you to come sit in my presence in seats of authority. Let me ask you this. Do you need the power of God in your marriage? Do you need the power of God in your singleness? Do you need the power of God in your schooling, in your income, in your, in your whatever, in your job, in your relationships? Do you need the power of God? Then you need to come sit on one of the thrones in the place where he says, my authority is resting. I'm not talking about the restroom thrones. Just get that out of your head. 
I'm talking about walking into the presence of God in a place that has been saturated with his glory all day long. And when you walk in from your lunch break, just because you need 10 or 15 minutes in the presence of God and you walk in, you go, oh, what in the world was that? Well, that's the power of God, honey. And you go find a seat and you sit down. When you sit down in the presence of God, you have to understand that he has elevated you from the earthlies into the realm of God and he is seating you in heavenly places. And he's saying, hey, you can now come boldly before me and make your petition known. What do you need from me? Because you are now sitting in the place of my authority. You better believe location matters. And if you don't have leaders that are going regularly to the house of God, if you have leaders who are not going regularly, hey, leader, are you spending time in the house of God when it's not your turn to serve? Or are you just doing it to check your box? Hey, we've got to go into the house of God. we got to go to the high place and say, I'm here, God. Meet me in this place because I need your power. Praise God. This is where it begins to shift. Verse 6 down to verse 9. We're almost done. It begins to change. He's laid the foundation for the prayer for the heart of God because he's wanting you to see that when you begin to pray for the heart of God, this doesn't just happen in any random place. Praying for the heart of God happens in a place and in a mindset that has been designated and placing God at the highest point. Verse 6 says it like this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love her prosper. Another way to put this, in fact, a a little bit better translation would be ask for the peace of Jerusalem. So when you come into the presence of God in this high place, in the seat of authority, you are in the position to be able to ask God to do things on your behalf and to listen to your petition and then act according to what you said. I'm giving God orders. No, you're seeking the heart of God. So he's already said, if you seek my kingdom and my agenda first, I'll give you whatever you're asking for. You put yours first and I'm going to back up a little bit and let you work it out on your own until you realize exactly how much you need me. But when you put my agenda first, I'll just take care of everything you've been needing. You didn't even know you needed. So we're praying for the heart of God. What is the heart of God? God chose a nation out of Abraham. One single man, he created a nation that did not exist before that day. It it had a language that had never been spoken before. It had an economic system that had never been used before. It had a sense of humor that had never even been touched before. It had a way of thinking that had never even existed until God began to make the, the barren womb of Sarah and the, and the impotentness of Abraham begin to bear fruit. But when this happened, God created a nation out of Abraham and Sarah. And what resulted is a chosen nation that had one responsibility. Look at your neighbor and say, you had one job. To be a light to the nations. Now, we can debate as to whether or not that's happened or not. But there's something that begins to happen when we recognize as postmodern believers in 2021, almost 2022, that God's chosen nation never has changed. 
Now, I, I, I want to I brace you here real quick. Some of you are already going ahead thinking I'm about to talk politics. I promise you, I am not. The house of God is not the location for politics. I think one of the problems is we've allowed too much politic to make it into God's house. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a house of politics. He didn't say that, but he said, not a den of thieves, politics, den of thieves, kind of all works out. He said, so as for the peace of Jerusalem, well, I don't want to do that because I don't agree with them. That ain't what it's saying. Then you have the people, I'm going to pray for Jerusalem because I want America to be blessed. And then you have the goofballs that say, America's been blessed because of our relationship with Israel. Bull crap. Don't read my, I cannot believe I just said that. Please forgive me. I told you too much turkey makes Jack a dull, dull boy. But anyway, filter. Yeah, thank you, babe. Remind me of my filter. I need a filter. But we think that our nation is blessed. I don't know if you've read the news lately. Not sure our nation is as blessed as we claim it to be. Perhaps because the nation was not a Christian nation even in its formation. Imani agrees with me on this. She ain't said amen all day, but I got on that. Just messing with But we can't turn a God principle into a political talking point. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And may those who love her prosper has nothing to do with a government. Has everything to do with a mindset. Let me break this down and show it to you. The heart of God is that this chosen nation, this nation that he formed specifically with that one job to be a light to the nations would open a pathway for all nations of the world to come to him. So in his words, his house would be full. Okay, let's dive in this. I'll I'll show it to you. So when we pray for peace in Jerusalem, we're not praying for militaristic peace. We're praying for that location where God rests his name and says, this will be my throne. Yes, there is a physical location that after the catching away and after the second coming, there is a physical location. We can break that down later on in the series. By the way, we are going there. But that's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about that place that you've designated for him and you, that high place. May there be peace in the seat of power in the place where your name rests. So when I walk in, all the confusion of my life just washes away and I don't have to be concerned about that bill I couldn't pay. I don't have to be concerned about the person who treated me bad. I don't have to be concerned. It's not like those things aren't important because they are important. But when you're in the presence of God, you don't need to worry about them. And when you and I start worrying about the cares of life, he says, great, that's where I need you to be. I'll take care of the cares of your life. Just come into my presence and let there be peace in my house of peace and don't be afraid because you're in the seat of power you're seated with me in heavenly places don't be afraid to say hey 
clear up the confusion. Wash away the cloudiness. Just let the of the Holy Spirit breathe through here and just push away the clouds. Because we've been cloudy for a long time. We need to see the light of God's day. Amen, amen. Verse 7, may there be peace inside your defenses and prosperity inside your fortress. Now, because I've already bumped the political mindset, let me go ahead and explain to you what this actually is. Because the political Christian would say, we need to pray for Israel, the nation, the current nation that exists in the Middle East. By the way, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But while you're at it, go ahead and pray for Saudi Arabia. Go ahead and pray for Pakistan. Go ahead and pray for India. And go ahead and pray for Africa and Europe and Russia and the United States and Central America and South. Go ahead and pray for all the nations of the world while you're praying for all these political setups. Nothing wrong at all with doing that. But understand that there's something deeper here. May there be peace inside your defenses and prosperity inside your fortresses. I've already told you that David is speaking prophetically in this prayer. He's talking about a temple that he's never walked into. He's talking about a place of sacrifice and worship that he's only seen in his mind's eye. And in the same way, he is speaking prophetically in this point because he is not talking about safety in the streets of Tel Aviv. It got quiet. I've already messed with somebody and you're trying to decide if you agree with me or not. That's okay. Take it up with God. It's his word, not mine. You want to pray for that? Cool. But that does not fulfill 122. What David was speaking of prophetically is, you see, God sees the end of a thing from the beginning. He knows where things are going to end up and he knows what choices we're going to make even though he continues to allow us to make different choices and better choices. So God already knew before he ever gave this word to David that Israel, being a divided nation, was going to drift completely away from him and not fulfill the calling of the chosen nation. Y'all remember that one job to be a light to the nation? They didn't do it. Well, that's why I hate Israel. Get over yourself. Because the book of Romans teaches us that when They didn't fulfill their job, and the door was open. God reached out from that open door and began to grab those of us who did not fit into the bloodline of Abraham and spiritually grafted us into the bloodline of Abraham, and now salvation can come. Verse 7, this whole prayer is a prophecy about the salvation of Israel, not political peace and prosperity. This is a prayer that the church, the Gentile church, if I can use that term, meaning non-Jewish, should pray that Israelites, the children of Israel, recognize Jesus as the Savior. Oh God, keep the, keep the armies away from their borders. That may or may not work, 
But better yet, why don't you reveal yourself to them because they rejected you when you robed yourself in flesh and why don't you show them who you really are and let them see who I, who you really are through the life that I live. Shine yourself through me so they can recognize their need for you, Jesus, so that they can find salvation. We're praying. We're commanded to pray for the heart of God. What is the heart of God? That all nations of the world would know him by name, including the chosen nation. Yeah, but God, God's got a whole plan for Israel after the, after the catching away. and after. Yeah, you're right. God has a whole plan, but that's the chosen nation's reward. But that's not the bride of Christ. That's not even God's plan. That's the consolation prize. God wants the chosen nation to be a part of what you and I are experiencing right now, which is the illumination of who Jesus actually is. It is God's plan and God's ultimate desire. It's the beating heart of a living God that says, I want the children of Abraham to know me by name and receive the baptism of my spirit. And the North American church, at the biggest spot, have decided to treat Israel as nothing more than a political pawn for right-wing politics. Let me just go ahead and tell you, you don't know how I vote. I vote for Reagan every time. It's, it's just what I do. Even for mayor, I vote for Reagan. They don't like it. It's just what I do. I will say that I did want a birthday party, so... Didn't happen. I was a little disappointed that wasn't my birthday every day, but what this is not political at all. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the fulfillment of God's commandment that all nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. In other words, all nations of the world could come to know God personally. If this church would begin to set aside intentional time to come to the high place and say, God, show your face to that nation. I don't care what you do with them militaristically. I don't care what you do with them economically. I don't care what you do with all the social strife that's happening in the Middle East. I really don't care. You're better at being God than me. But please... Show them who you are the way you've showed who you are to me. Something amazing begins to happen in this moment when we stop seeking our comfort and we lean into the heart of God. And he says, that's what I've wanted from before the foundation of the world. A people who will pray for my heart. Pastor, you're trying to make us messianic. No, I like bacon. (laughs) Did not have turkey on Thanksgiving. I had ham. I am not messianic. I look goofy with ringlets. It's not going to (laughs) happen. I can't keep the little tiny doily on my head. It's not a good look for me. That's not where I'm going. I'm not trying to make us spiritual Jews. We are not spiritual Jews. 
We're grafted into the bloodline of Abraham by spiritual adoption into the name of Jesus, wherein the blood of our father was applied to our life because we rose out of the baptismal grave in the name of the one who created us, in the name of the one who saved us, in the name of the one who cleanses us. I am not a Jew. I am a child of God. Better yet, I'm a part of the bride of Christ. He is my husband, and I can't wait to see him. Y'all going to make me get Pentecostal up in this mother. But there's something that happens when the church says, God, I'm going to lay aside my North American dream. What's your heart? What's your desire? God, how, how can I pray for you? You, you pray for God? We pray for everything else. But notice this, verse 8. For the sake of my brothers and my neighbors, I will say, may there be peace in you. For the sake of my brothers and my neighbors. That's on the other side of the world. Oh, no. The diaspora happened, the spreading. And they're everywhere. They're all over the world. They're your neighbors. Some of you may even have family that come from this lineage. Something amazing happens when the church, the bride, begins to recognize that the chosen nation is a part of us. They're not an enemy. And even though they they didn't fulfill their job, them not fulfilling their job opened the doorway for us. But if you study through, through Romans chapter 9 all the way through Chapter 11, here's what you're going to learn, that while that door is still open, it's closing, but it ain't closed yet. While that door is still open, the church needs to reach out and shine the light and love of Jesus to the chosen nation. Why? So that his house will be full and his kingdom fulfilled. For the sake of my blood, they're my blood relatives, Because you see, I was grafted into the bloodline of Abraham. Spiritually, I'm a child of Abraham. That means I'm related to them. Well, I don't agree with their politics. Great, I don't agree with yours. Or ours. God doesn't agree with ours. Why don't we drop politics? Let's drop personal agenda. Well, they did. I'm sure they did, but so did we. God. Instead of just answering all my Santa Claus Christ prayers, you've given me more than I even know what to do with. Give me a love for your heart. And let me recognize God that the lost of this world, of every nationality, of every mindset, are still my brothers and sisters because the same blood that's in their veins is in my veins. 
What you're really saying, God, is your heart is for the lost. And this prayer that I'm praying is not just about a nation in the Middle East. It's also about the lost individual that lives down the street from me or lives next door to me or lives across the, uh, across the parking lot from me. Give me a love for the lost, God, and let me see that they are my brothers and my sisters because your heart is breaking because they are going into eternity without even knowing you. And meanwhile, the church just wants to get another microphone or another projection screen or build a better website. Meanwhile, the church just wants to get more signs outside. We think it's about this kingdom that we're building, but it's really about that one lost individual who you went to the cross naming their name, saying, I'm doing this for you. Let my heart break where yours breaks for the sake of my brothers and sisters. May there be peace. May there be salvation. Verse 9, and then I'm going to close. For the sake of the temple of the Lord our God, I will pray for you to prosper. He started off with a prophecy and he closes out with a prophecy. The temple wasn't even built, but for the sake of this place that will be established as a high place for worship and sacrifice, for the sake of the gathering, for the sake of those of us who have received Christ and our bodies are the very temple of the character of God. I will pray for the lost to prosper. Why? Because true riches comes with the understanding of who Jesus is. We're in the holidays. Why can't you preach something uplifting? I, I wanted to. But it's easy for me to get caught up in rejoicing over something that doesn't even matter. And trying to get my agenda met, trying to get my list of prayers answered. When I've made communication with him just something that I do. I've made it a religious ritual. I read books that have prayers in them and I act like they're coming from my heart. It's nothing. I mess up and I pray the same prayer over and over and over and over and over thinking that's going to do anything. It ain't going to do jack. Because it's not, even, it's not even communication. It's just words. And somehow in spite of all this, he says, I will trust to you access to my eternal power and my eternal salvation. Somehow or other, he's given me access to this and I still decide to just pray for what I want. And what I need, meanwhile, the heart of God continues to break because the church is just wanting more stuff. What would happen if a congregation that because of the pandemic was no longer in a single location, but we're literally a worldwide church, 
What would happen if this worldwide church, New Orleans, Chicago, Colorado, Georgia, California, Hawaii, wherever the military is, Kenya, Australia, Amsterdam, whatever country that is, what if, what if this church would stop praying for our desires and we started praying for God's beating heart? You, you, you know how tithing conditions us to trust God? It's not really about the money. It's about the heart condition. You, you know that? Why pray for the nation of Israel? to condition us to pray for the lost. You want to find the heart of God? Look for someone who's been marginalized by society. Look for someone who's been rejected by society. Look for someone who is hurting from the cancer, eating their body apart. Instead of saying, bless me indeed, saying, oh God, let my heart break for what your heart breaks for. For the sake of my brothers and sisters. For the sake of Blake. For the sake of Connie. Hurt me, God. Let me feel the burden of the pain that those two individuals are going through. God, don't let me sleep at night while Dottie struggles knowing that her son is in absolute pain and her mom is in a different kind of pain, but for the same reason. God, don't let me rest when I know my sister is hurting. Break my heart, God. Make me uncomfortable. You've given me so much stuff. I don't even use it right, God. Just break my heart for the lost. Give me a compassion for people who today will take their last breath having never even felt what I've taken for granted over the last hour and 20 minutes. I've got an appetite for feel-good sermons that mean nothing. Six ways to be more effective at my job. God, forgive me for my complacency. Give me a burden for the people that are on their way to hell right now because I was complacent. For the sake of my brothers and sisters, I'm going to come to the high place and I'm going to first off lower myself and I'm going to bow in your presence and say, I am worth nothing because you are greater I'm going to come in. I'm going to be glad about coming in here. I'm not going to push it aside. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to come into this place together with these people. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to say, God, I humble myself right here in this place, in this moment, in this place that you've decided to rest your name. And as I worship you, break my heart, God. Because I know that while you're blessing me and making me feel good in your presence, God, your heart is breaking because there's some lost person who is walking down the street not knowing you. 
when I've come to this realization, let me rise up in this high place and go sit in the seat of power and start making decisions that are better decisions than I was making before because now I'm choosing your way and I'm choosing your path and I'm choosing your agenda. I'm choosing your heart over my desires. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm going to ask nobody to move. I'm going to give you a second here in just a few minutes where you can leave if you need to leave. Completely understand. But there's going to be people making decisions and people responding to the heart of God that's beating fervently in this moment. And I don't want there to be any distractions. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want you to pray this prayer with me or something. You can say it in your own words. In fact, that's always better. Just simply say something along this lines. Jesus, forgive me of my arrogance. Forgive me of my self-centeredness. Forgive me of my self-focus. Forgive me from who I've made myself when that's not who you designated me to be. Forgive me for not having a heart for the lost. So God, I'm going to start here right now. Let salvation come to the nation of Israel. Let the prosperity of your glory walk up and down the streets of Jerusalem, the streets of Tel Aviv, and the streets of all these other cities. Go to the city of Bethlehem, the place where you robed yourself in flesh. Go back to that city of Bethlehem, a place that actually celebrates in in Islam there, God. I want you to go there and shine your face there. Let them know that they don't have to wait for a Messiah, that you've already come. That they don't have to pray to a Middle Eastern fake deity God. And then, Lord, spread throughout the Eastern nations that worship their ancestors and are just so lost. Go to India and Pakistan and Nepal and all these places where they they worship demons, not even knowing they're worshiping demons. And Lord, go up into Russia where they're just, it's so dark. And for centuries, your light has been snuffed out by politics, God. I pray that you would just break through the darkness and the clouds of the cold darkness, God. Shine your light there and then let a fire sweep across Europe. The place where your church got started, God, that for centuries the enemy has been able to snuff out the light. And now alcoholism and drug addiction and prostitution and human trafficking and violence just rules and reigns. Shine your face there, God. And then come across the pond, God, to this place that we assume is blessed, but we're just as lost as they are. And God, shine your light in this church. Set this church on fire with a burden for the lost of this world. 
sorry that I put myself before your heart. But now I prostrate myself in your presence for the sake of my brothers and sisters. Let there be peace in the place of peace. Let there be peace and prosperity in the place where the lost walk. Let my heart break for your heart. I want to minister to you, Jesus. You've done so much for me. Let me minister to you. May the lost find you. May they make that choice to recognize how much they need you. And I don't want anything else in this world but you. And here in this holiday season that we're supposed to be celebrating you that really is just another excuse to celebrate ourselves. Before we even start down this road, God, give me a heart for you and a heart for this temple, this house, this designation, this intentional place. In Jesus' name. Here's what I'm going to do.